You are listening to the Our View podcast, where we aim to educate, raise awareness, and change the tone of conversation about disabilities. Every week, we bring you episodes that are centered around topics related to disabilities. As the host, it is my hope that you are not just inspired by these stories that are shared, but that you put some action behind your inspiration to do something that improves the lives of those who live with disabilities. I thank you, our loyal listeners, for your support and remind you to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Our View for Life and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to tell us what you enjoy most about the podcast. Let's get into this conversation. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Our View podcast, where we aim to educate, raise awareness, and change the tone of conversation about disabilities. I am happy to welcome my guest on today's show, Natasha D'Arcangelo, to the podcast. So thank you so much for joining me today, Natasha. I am happy to have you here. And I am excited to be here. Yes. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do, and um something fun something fun that you like to do that you enjoy (laughs) sure so i am a licensed mental health counselor i am licensed in florida in washington and in oregon um so i see folks that live in those three states i am currently working full-time for headspace help and um really specialize in trauma compassion fatigue and burnout work with a lot of folks with anxiety that's another really common one um and then i do public speaking on the side so i am really passionate about trying to destigmatize all concepts around mental health um you know i think it's a shame that there's so much secrecy around mental health and you know in a lot of circles people think that it's not okay to go see a therapist and um so i'm always looking to bring awareness to it's okay to not be okay and um you know if you had something going on with your heart you wouldn't hesitate to go see a cardiologist so you know this is the same thing if you have something going on emotionally there shouldn't be a reason for you to hesitate to go see a professional our our profession exists for a reason and always looking to try to normalize things for people um i also take pride in being a bipoc clinician so according to the american counseling association as of last year only about 30 percent of licensed professional counselors across the country identified under the bipoc umbrella um, which is black indigenous and people of color and that's a low number Uh, we need to do better as a field Um, but i also really want to get my face out there so that folks know that there are therapists that look like me. Um, You know, I'm first generation American, proud child of immigrant parents. Um, You know, that is a core part of my identity. And so also really like working with first gen clients. And um, I would say a fun thing about me is she's sleeping now, but she is up here with me. I have an office assistant, her name is Celeste and she is a real life therapy dog. And um, we get to go do visits out in the community and we go to schools and the university and hospitals and I absolutely love it. And she is a better therapist than I will ever be. And I know that. (laughs) So, yeah. Yes, I am. um, Again, I'm so happy that you're here uh, to talk 
um, on topics related to mental health. Um, as I shared with you uh, earlier, and um, as I've shared before on the podcast, I did major in psychology. And uh, so mental health and topics related to mental health are very, um, very important to me. And it's important that um, I share these uh, conversations on on the podcast as well. Uh, because they are, uh, diagnoses are covered uh, under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So it's really, um, you know, it falls into my uh, raising awareness and changing the tone of conversation about disabilities mission. Uh, So I'm I'm very excited. And I was also uh, happy that you did mention that you are a BIPOC uh, uh, counselor, because as you said, the number is so low for um, people yeah. who identify as, as being BIPOC uh, yeah. in the counseling field. And that was another reason why I um, I majored in psychology, because at the time, um, you know, I, I had been to a few counselors myself and none of them looked like me. <laughs> right. And it you makes know, a difference. It does. It does. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I, I and I also know a lot of times in our community, um, I'm African-American we don't talk about our feelings too much too often. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, so that makes it a lot, uh, I think it may make it a lot more difficult for, uh, you know, BIPOC uh, people to um, to reach out to a therapist if they don't see somebody who looks like them because they feel like they may Absolutely. not be able to identify with what they're dealing with and, and what they're feeling and all of that. So I'm very excited to, um, have this conversation with you today. So um, as you mentioned, you are a licensed mental health counselor. um, And can you share with us a little bit more about the clients, uh, the population whom you serve? Sure. So uh, right now I'm working primarily with uh, adolescents and adults. Um, I am a former educator. So I was a teacher once upon a time. Uh, Most therapists fall into one of two camps. They either work with children and adolescents, or they work with adults. I'm kind of weird because I will see children as young as five um, and then go up from there. But that's because, again, I was a teacher once upon a time. So I don't (laughs) mind working with with younger children. So primarily, um, you know, I see folks who are in some kind of transition. So maybe they're really unhappy with their job, but they're not quite sure what to do. There's something going on in their relationship. Um, A lot of times folks will come to me in the aftermath of grief. So maybe Mm -hmm. they've just recently lost somebody. They're looking for a place to process through that. What almost always happens is people, like a thing will happen and people are like, okay, that was hard, but I can deal with it. And then another thing will happen. They're like, Okay. Okay. I I can deal with that. And then another thing happens and then it just feels like everything in your brain short circuits. Um, And so oftentimes that is how folks will present to me. And almost always they come to me in this, um, there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm defective. Why, why can't I get over, um, you know, whatever it is that's happened to me? Why am I dealing with this so poorly? And so a lot of what I try to do is normalize, um, well, you're human. (laughs) And, you know, had it been just the one thing, you probably would have been just fine. 
But after the 10th thing happened, you know, you, you just, your system got overwhelmed and, and that happens. It happens to all of us. Now, what pushes us to that point of overwhelm is different for every person, mm -hmm. uh, but it's really not fair to you to be beating yourself up for that. So every therapist has a different approach. Uh, every therapist has a different modality. You know, we have to complete a 60 credit master's degree in order to be able to do counseling. And so there's standard courses that we take. We take, you know, substance abuse, we take trauma, we take, you know, diagnosis, uh, treatment planning, all of that stuff. But after graduation, we have to start collecting continuing education units. And oftentimes that's where we'll find our specialization. Um, mm -hmm. I have decided to specialize in trauma. I would not have predicted for myself had you talked to graduate level me, <laughs> um, but I love it. I really love working with folks that have a history of trauma because it's so gratifying for me to see them live a higher quality of life. Mm -hmm. And so the approach that I tend to take when I'm in session is to use my trauma training background, um, which accidentally also helps my folks struggling with anxiety um, was not the original reason that I did that training, but it, there's a lot of neuroscience and understanding your own brain better and how it works wow. that helps the folks that I work with that have anxiety. So that's my typical approach. I do also use some cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, um, you know, kind of challenging, you know, a lot of times people will come to me with, um, I'm no good at anything. Everything I try just fails. And I'm like, well, that can't possibly be true. You could not possibly have failed at every single thing, right? And so the fancy therapy word for that is a cognitive distortion. Mm -hmm. And so through cognitive behavioral therapy, we start to challenge some of those thoughts um, and recognize that you may be overwhelmed in the moment, but that doesn't mean that you literally failed at everything that you've tried in your entire life. So in, in, in therapy speak, I have an eclectic approach. I kind of pull from my different <laughs> trainings um, to see what's going to benefit the client that's sitting in front of me mm -hmm. or across the computer from me because now I'm fully remote um, and, you know, really try to personalize it to what my clients are presenting to me with. So another note on therapy, every therapist does things differently. Mm -hmm. And if you have tried therapy before, and you said, this was miserable. This was not for me. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. Um, I want to equate that to, we've all been to a doctor at some point that had horrible bedside manner, okay. right? Um, my dermatologist will never see him again. I will see the physician's assistant. I will not see him. Um, <laughs> everybody's had that experience, right? It's the same thing with therapy you may have had a really horrible experience, but we're not all the same. And oftentimes we have to meet with a couple of different therapists before we really find somebody that we click with. And I promise you it, it's worth putting in that investment in the beginning, mm -hmm. because what every single study tells us about therapy, so many studies have been done. Why does therapy work? What, how do we predict whether or not it's going to work? And they look at, does your therapist have a master's or a doctorate? How many years have they been in practice? Uh, what kind of trainings have they done? And what they find is it always comes down to the relationship between the client and the therapist. Mm -hmm. So bottom line, 
<laughs> you have to feel comfortable with your therapist. And if that doesn't happen with the first person that you meet with, that's normal. Mm -hmm. That's normal. So it is well worth your time to do a little bit of internet searching. When, when clients tell me that they Googled me before our first session, I'm like, fantastic. That's great. <laughs> so you already know a little bit about, um, you know, but, but that you want to do that, right? What does your therapist specialize in? Can you do a free consultation call with them? Um, those kinds of things are really, really important. So if you put in that, that research ahead of time, mm -hmm. it's going to help you kind of essentially weed out the people that are not the best fit for you and makes your life a little bit easier. So, yeah. Yeah, I love what you said. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times I can use myself as an example. I I don't often pay attention to all of the things that are happening all at once. And then, like you said, it, it reaches a point where it's just like, oh, my gosh, like this is so much. This is so heavy on me. Then it's like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, when you break it down, it's like, oh, yeah, those five things did happen within those four weeks. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow. And, no wonder my brain short circuited. Right. <laughs> and I and I also love what you said about, um, you know, what what short circuits us is different for everybody, where every person reaches a point that point where it's like, oh, my gosh, this is too much to handle at this point. That's different for everybody. I um, I often uh, I've, I've had conversations with people who, you know, they're having a bad day about something and then they're just they'll stop and they'll say like, oh, like, sorry to vent to you and, and you know, with all the stuff that you're dealing with. And I'm like, hey, mm -hmm. like, just because I'm dealing with stuff like what you're going <laughs> what, what you're going through might have broken me. I don't know. You know, it's sure. Sure. I, I'm I've lived with my disability for 41 years. I'm used to the discomfort and the pain that I feel. And, you know, sometimes it keeps me in bed. Most of the time it doesn't. Sometimes mm -hmm. I, I have to, like, you know, force myself to stay in the house. But it's like you can't compare like you can't compare everybody's struggles like, you know, Correct. what yeah. <laughs> what I can get through might have broken you or, or vice versa. Like we don't we just don't know. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's definitely okay to, um, like you said, to seek out that, uh, that therapy. And it's also okay to say like, you're not the right one for me, <laughs> you know, it's, and, it's and like, that's okay. You yeah, know, that's okay. It is. It's a relationship, just like a friendship or, a, you know, any type of relationship that you might have, you have to develop all those things, the trust and, and all of that to feel comfortable, to open up to the therapist. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, seek out the uh the right one the right right person for you that's really uh mm -hmm. really important yeah <clears throat> excuse me um so uh in our pre-conversation and uh messages that we've exchanged um you uh shared that you were diagnosed uh with anxiety uh as a child did that have an impact on uh the path uh your career path that you have chosen so two, two answers to that. So I actually was not diagnosed with anxiety as a child. Oh, okay. Um, but knowing what I know now, I have had anxiety for like as long as my conscious memory goes uh -huh. back. Um, but you know, the interesting thing is it did not um, influence my career decision. And here's why. Because I come from a family where we don't talk about mental health stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I always say that um, my my grandma genetically gifted me her anxiety. So thanks, grandma. Um, <laughs> and it, it's always been this thing in my family where 
we never called it anxiety. That's just how grandma is. And uh, my hmm. family's from Guyana in South America. So uh, former British colonies. So we say that she studies. Grandma studies. We don't say that. We don't even say that she worries. We say that she studies. Oh. <laughs> and um, it's it's just always been that's how grandma is, right? Mm-hmm. And so there were no conversations around. I, I mean, I would feel like I needed to throw up before I gave presentations. I remember feeling that in elementary school. I remember wow. having to do school plays and being up there and you know like shaking and and just wanting to hide under a chair and i thought it was normal i thought everybody felt that way and it really wasn't until i got to college that i realized that not everybody feels that way um that that's not a thing that everybody goes through but it had been so normalized in my family dynamic that even to this day when I say grandma has anxiety, it makes people upset. Oh. <laughs> so it, it, it's still a, we, we don't, we don't talk about Bruno, like grandma uh. studies. She doesn't have anxiety. She studies. That's just how she uh. is. Right. Um, and, and so now knowing what I know, mm-hmm. I know that I had anxiety, but because I didn't know that at the time, it didn't influence my career decision, which is, it's so interesting. The the way that I got here is as a former educator, I never felt like I was doing enough for my students. It was so Mm -hmm. focused on all of the state testing. And, um, you know, I I didn't get into teaching to focus on state testing. Um, (laughs) Ended up moving down to Florida, had an opportunity to, uh, I was working for Argosy University. And they said, well, you can get a free master's degree since you work here. And I said, great. And was going to do school counseling or school psychology, but decided to do clinical mental health counseling so I could work with a wider variety of populations. Um, And here I am. Uh, And and now I work with adults and I love it. And I never would have predicted that for myself. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, It is. (laughs) It's it's so interesting, though, um, as you said, as as you know what now what you know uh you could look back and I, th- I think i can definitely uh you know look back on some things and and identify what it was you know after after the fact now um yep. but yeah that's really uh that's really interesting I, I wanted to make sure that we uh touched on that and yes. um and to continue the conversation about um anxiety because i it's it's a lot it's been a lot in the news um especially the last three years which is so hard to believe that we've yes. been living in this pandemic um and uh now that things in in most places are are opening up again and people are having anxiety about being in mm-hmm. uh, crowded spaces again because Perfect. they've um been in the house um, or in smaller groups uh, for the majority of the last uh, three years. So can yeah. you um, share with us um, what is what is anxiety? How is it defined? And some of the sure. uh, statistics and prevalence of um, anxiety and also um, some coping strategies that people can uh, maybe use to uh, work through their own anxiety. Sure. So um, let's start with the definition of anxiety. So there's a difference 
difference between having anxiety and experiencing anxious moments, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if you, for example, uh, are giving a big presentation at work and you know the entire department is gonna be there, it's pretty normal to have butterflies in your stomach and um, you know maybe not sleep so well the night before. <laughs> um, that's different than having like diagnosable anxiety, right. um, diagnosable anxiety. So it falls under the umbrella of, I'm going to go with the most common one. There's obviously subcategories, uh, but generalized anxiety disorder. And so the definition of generalized anxiety disorder, um, is in the DSM. So every <laughs> therapist, psychologist, social worker that, you know, has it's it's a pretty serious book, um, yeah. but this is where the definition comes from, and it's it goes along with not just um, the symptoms you're experiencing, but also how long have you been experiencing those symptoms. So it's kind of a twofold thing. So a lot of times people will um, essentially misdiagnose themselves. Um, <laughs> There, there is a, I know that there's mental health TikTok, and I think that there are good things about that in that it is bringing more awareness to some things that we don't necessarily talk about. But I also think that depending on who your source is, you may not necessarily be getting the most accurate information. So right. you may want to take it with a grain <laughs> of salt, right? Um, so I wanted to make sure I pulled it up for you. So there's the page on generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and what we're looking for is excessive anxiety and worry occurring more days than not for at least six months. Hmm. So you can't say that you have generalized anxiety disorder because you had to give a presentation at work last week, mm -hmm. right? Um, you haven't been, the way that I describe it is, do you worry about all the things all the time and, and you just can't seem to shut it off, right? That's excessive. And, and even about things that are outside of your control. So, um, you know, a common thing would be, I had a client maybe about a month or so ago who had their performance review coming up and had convinced themselves that their boss was going to fire them. And if their boss fires them, then they're not gonna be able to pay their mortgage. And if they don't pay their mortgage, then they're going to end up homeless. And if they end up homeless, then what in the world is gonna happen with their dog? Because they don't want their, their poor dog to be out on the street, mm. you know? And, and it was just this cascading effect, right? That's excessive worry. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that we look at. Another really common thing is um, you have difficulty concentrating you have feelings of restlessness. So I have clients that pace in session. They just can't sit still. They're always shaking their leg. Um, they're irritable. They seem to be snapping at everybody around them. You're having trouble sleeping because you're laying in bed and the movie is playing in your head of this thing that you said in seventh grade. And why didn't the, why did you do that? That was a stupid thing to do. Um, so those are some of the common markers. Muscle tension is another really big one. So, you know, I, I have clients where mm -hmm. their shoulders are, you know, uh, up to their ears. Um, so those are some of the, the common ones and that's generalized anxiety disorder. So the difference is how severe are the symptoms and how long have they been present? So one of the benchmarks we use for, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use fancy therapy phrase, um, is clinically significant distress. So if it is 
impacting your marriage because your partner is telling you, I'm watching you pace and it's making me nervous and can you just sit down please, right? Um, or you're, you're forgetting so many things at work because you're so anxious all the time. That's clinically significant distress. Not the same thing as I was nervous the day before I gave a presentation at work, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're looking at. How long have symptoms been present and how much are they impacting your life? Now, as far as prevalence goes, I'm really glad you mentioned COVID because literally today, um, in preparation for this, I pulled up the most recent statistics from the National Center for Health Statistics, which is run by the CDC. In 2019, as a country and as an average, there's all kinds of subcategories, but generally as a population, 6.5% of adults reported symptoms of anxiety. In December 2022, that number was 29.8%. Wow. We went from 6.5 to 29.8%. Wow. That's a really significant jump, right? Mm -hmm. So the other thing I want you to keep in mind is just like how we were saying there's different things that will kind of push people to the point of overwhelm. For almost three years now, we have all been experiencing a global traumatic event. Mm -hmm. COVID has fundamentally changed how we operate in our universes, and it has impacted every single person on this planet. And if you find that you're having a hard time sleeping or you're really struggling to shut your brain off, you're within that 26.9% of people. And that's just in the country. That's not even worldwide, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it would be normal and maybe even expected that you would be worrying a little bit more right now. So uh, if you go to the National Center for Health Statistics, it's readily available online. You can see they break it down um, by gender, by education, by ethnic background, all of those things. But um, they keep it updated fairly regularly. So it's really interesting to take a look at those statistics. So very prevalent, very, wow. very prevalent. Mm -hmm. And our adolescents are the ones struggling the most right now. Mm -hmm. It's our teens that are really, really having a hard time. Um, so that's defining anxiety and then talking a little bit about prevalence and statistics. And then as far as coping skills go, um, huge thing, especially to learn in therapy. So there's a couple of really quick ones that I like to use with clients. Um, one of them is a grounding technique using your five senses. So if you feel like you are um, becoming overwhelmed or you're starting to get maybe kind of panicky, you can kind of run through it in your head where you utilize your five senses, look around you and think about what are five things that I can see right now? What are four things that I can touch or that I currently am touching? What are three things that I can hear, right? Um, what are two things that I can smell? And then what's one thing that I can taste, right? And if you're, if you have somebody with you, you can name it out loud for them. If that's somebody that you're close with, but it's also a list that you can go through in your head. And what that'll do is that'll help you hopefully come back to the present moment 
um, where you're at and what's actually happening. So that's a simple, um, you know, five senses rounding technique. Um, some people find it helpful to, uh, you know, wear like a rubber band on their wrist and every so often if they're feeling anxious, they can kind of snap the rubber band again, kind of brings them back to the present moment. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, and this comes from the trauma training that I've done, your anxiety from a neuroscience perspective comes from some kind of painful past learning. So I want you to think about your brain as a computer. Your brain stores every single piece of information that you have ever encountered for your entire life. You may not consciously be aware of it, but I promise you it's up there. Um, maybe you witnessed a car accident five years ago. And I say to you, what was the license plate of that car? And you say, I no, I, I don't know what I ate for breakfast yesterday. I have no idea what the license plate of that <laughs> car was. Um, but if we get somebody qualified to hypnotize you, you can pull that license plate number out, right? Because it's there. You just need to be able to access it. Um, that is both a blessing and a curse <laughs> because what happens is as you navigate through your universe from birth, your nervous system is constantly taking in information about mm -hmm. your environmental stimuli and it's putting it into one of two buckets. This will kill you. This will not. Mm. Sometimes the things that get put into the, this will kill you bucket um and yet if you encountered something one time in your life that your nervous system stored in the this will kill you bucket and maybe you don't encounter it for another 10 years but there's some kind of environmental stimuli that resembles that mm. thing that your nervous system put in the this will kill you bucket what it'll do is it'll your your fight or flight response will initiate you'll go into threat mode None of this is a conscious process. You don't wake up in the morning and decide that you want to have a panic attack in the middle of a target. Right. Right. Um, it's your nervous system trying desperately to keep you alive because it thinks that the thing is dangerous. Yeah. Um, take, for example, a young child. Let's let's age them at one. Right. I think most of us don't have a conscious memory of being one. I know I don't. Um, but if a child that young gets bitten by a dog, they are going to develop a lifelong fear of all dogs, mm -hmm. not just the dog that bit them, right? That goes into the bucket of things that will kill you. And until you come to see somebody like me, that's going to be a fear that you continue to have. What your nervous system learned is that dogs are dangerous. And so now all dogs fall into that category, right? Mm. So sometimes it makes sense like that. Sometimes there's a direct line from point A to point B. Most times that's not how it works. Um, let's take this same child, uh, one-year-old, this poor child that I've made up, um, <laughs> and their parents take them out for breakfast. And they are uh, outside, it's a beautiful Sunday, and um, they, they get pancakes, right? and they get maple syrup with their pancakes and they get stung by a bee. Mm -hmm. They may develop a lifelong aversion to maple syrup. 
not because the maple syrup hurt them, but because it was part of that sensory stimuli uh -huh. of getting hurt by the bee, right? Yeah. So yeah. your goal, and this is what I tell my clients, your goal is not to figure out what's initiating your threat response. Your goal is to become really well acquainted with what's going on inside your body. Because I can tell you how to know when your threat response has initiated, it's muscle tension. It's the first thing your body does. Because mm -hmm. you're preparing to fight or flight, right? Mm. So if you do a quick body scan and take stock of where are your muscles tense right now, Everybody watching can probably name at least one, but also if you're watching this, you're not in life-threatening danger. You're not about to die. So you don't actually need to have any tense muscles. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not necessary. And so if you take five, 10 seconds and do a body relaxation, do a quick body scan and try to soften all of the muscles in your body, right? From head to toe, take five seconds. What that does is that interrupts your threat response and it allows your nervous system to recognize that right now you are not in immediate life-threatening danger. And for my folks with extensive histories of trauma or really bad anxiety, they have to do that 200 times a day, if not more. Because we don't realize how much of our days we spend in like fight or flight mode. We don't realize how much our threat response is driving our day-to-day -day interactions until somebody like me comes along and points it out, right? <laughs> and I, I say all of this not to make people feel bad about themselves. That's not what it is. You have a nervous system that's essentially working overtime, mm -hmm. right? And going back to how everybody's <laughs> experience is different, the things that initiate my threat response are different than what's going to initiate your threat response. Right. I've never had a negative experience with a dog. I've never met a dog I didn't like, right? <laughs> um, so I'm not gonna go into panic mode over that. So don't feel like you're doing something wrong. Think about it as your nervous system working overtime. If you walked into a room where the air conditioner was set to 50 degrees, you would get goosebumps, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't beat yourself up for getting goosebumps. <laughs> the same thing that's happening. That's your sympathetic nervous system. Right. So your sympathetic nervous system is responding to what's going on in your environment. I d I've done almost all of my training with Dr. Eric Gentry. He is amazing. <laughs> and to quote him, what's it, what you're experiencing is an internal response to external stimuli. That's what's going on. You're not broken. You're not defective. And that's where our anxiety comes from. It's your nervous system thinking that you're going to die. But unless there's a bear in the room with you, you're not going to. <laughs> yeah. You just explained everything just so well and so clearly <laughs> that it, like, it all, it all makes sense. Like using the examples that you used of you know, having some experience when you were younger that you may not remember exactly because it happened when you were so young um, or your your brain has just shut that part out. But when mm -hmm. you come around, like you said, when you use the dog as an example, 
it's uh you know all dogs whether it was uh you know a chihuahua or a german shepherd or a great dane or a great dane yeah yeah, it's just sure all dogs i don't like them like that's just how how it goes but um yeah that's uh and even the the maple syrup uh you know uh analogy that you use that's like you relate that to uh that whole experience as a whole and it's just like okay or, yeah. or even the pancakes i'm not eating pancakes because i got stung by bee the last yeah, time i ate pancakes. exactly <laughs> yep bad things happen right that's in, the, that's in the bucket of things that kill me right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow so um can you share with us any resources that um may be helpful uh for those who are are watching or listening um you know who who may uh have experienced um either are diagnosed with anxiety or have anxious moments um where they uh you know anything that could be helpful for them sure so um a few different things come to mind um first of all if you have reached the point of what you feel is clinically significant distress if it is um bothering you more days than not and it's really impacting your quality of life in a negative way it's probably time to seek out professional help. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like therapyden.com. So it's, oh, excuse me, it's the word therapy and the word den, D-E-N.com. Um, therapyden.com is a fantastic search engine available in 50 states and you can um, search by, uh, are you seeing folks in person? Are you in network with Aetna? Um, you know, are, are you a non-binary therapist? Like you can uh, search by all those different parameters and it's free. You don't have to pay anything to use it. And as a therapist, I don't have to pay anything to be on the site, which is nice. And it gives you um, a lot of space to be able to really, as a therapist, I'm saying, to really be able to uh, write out a good description of yourself. So therapyden.com, great, fantastic resource. Um, Check to see if your company offers an EAP. A lot of larger companies will offer an employee assistance program, in which case you may get some some therapy sessions for free. Um, Mm -hmm. Some companies will offer four. Some companies go all the way up to 12. And I already know what you're going to say next, which is, but I don't want my employer knowing that I'm seeing a therapist. And uh, it is actually illegal for us to tell your employer that you are seeing a therapist. The same HIPAA laws that you that that you get the copy of every year at your doctor's office, uh, therapists are bound by those same HIPAA laws. We can only break confidentiality if we are worried for your safety, if we are worried that you may hurt somebody else. Or if you tell us about child abuse, abuse of an elderly person or abuse of a disabled adult, um, otherwise we are bound by confidentiality laws. So EAP is another really great place to get started. Um, Like I said, there is mental health TikTok and I, I do think that there is some valuable information on there. If you're going to use TikTok as a resource, just know who your source is, right? Um, So a really great thing to know is that um, my information is publicly available because my licenses are issued by the state. Uh, In Florida, it's the Department of Health, right? So you can search my name on the Florida Department of Health website and it will pull up my license number. That is publicly available information. So if you hear something from somebody on TikTok claiming something and you're like, "Mm, 
I'm not quite sure. Um, search their license number. It mm -hmm. should, should be available, um, you know, readily uh, on the state website that they are. So just take some things with a grain of salt is, is what I'm saying. Not mm -hmm. everything that you see is necessarily going to be true. Um, and another really, really, well, I could go on and on, but um, The Body Keeps the Score is a really, really great book. It is written by Dr. Vanderkolk. He has spent his entire career researching how we continue to hold on to traumas in our nervous system. So remember, you're not broken and how that impacts us present day on an unconscious level. So um, it's a great read. The Body Keeps the Score. I recommend that to everybody that I work with. Um, another great, fantastic tool is the ACEs. So ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Quick Google, search, quick Google search will pull up those 10 questions for you. It is a 10 question assessment that asks about different areas of trauma, abuse, or neglect that you might have experienced before the age of 18. Um, and it's a really good way of gaining some insight into yourself because what we know, because there's been so much field, uh, research done in the field of trauma is the higher your ACEs score is, the likelier it is that you are going to experience depression, anxiety, PTSD, that kind of thing. Not because you're broken, but because it continues to live on in your nervous system. So it's a it's kind of a foundational knowledge point to know about yourself, mm -hmm. because many times when folks come to me, if you grew up in a household where there was a lot of trauma, maybe you had a parent that was using substances, maybe you witnessed domestic violence on a regular basis, um, maybe you were physically abused, right? When you grew up in a household like that, that becomes your normal. You don't know that there's another way to be, mm, right? Right. And so you will convince yourself that it wasn't that bad. I mean, don't other people have it worse? Yeah. And and so what we do is we invalidate our own experiences. But I promise you, it's continuing to live on in your nervous system. And so it's a point of knowledge to have about yourself that can really help to um, just hopefully normalize that, that it's okay to seek help, but also, um, validate that what happened to you is not normal. And, mm -hmm. and most kids don't grow up that way and it's impacting you present day because how could it not? Right. So those would be my things. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, um, had a conversation with someone, uh, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, who also recommended The Body Keeps the Score as a book to read. <laughs> so yep, and I've, yep. I've seen a, a few things about it since then. I uh, yeah. definitely plan on reading it, adding it to my list for uh, this year of yeah, uh, yeah. books that I plan to read. And I have one final question for you. I, sure. told, you, I told you in the email I would have like a, a last question that it wouldn't be too intense or anything like that. Sure. Um, <laughs> just to break up the conversation a little bit. Um, <laughs> sure. So, yeah. So the last question I have is, if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? 
I could only choose one. Yes. The first thing that comes to mind is pasta. I love yeah. pasta. <laughs> so, and I feel like pasta is a broad enough category that I could have like ravioli one night and lasagna another night yeah. and bakelini another night. Yeah, and, switch it up. So it, it would be pasta. <laughs> yeah. It would it would be pasta for sure. Yeah. Great yeah. answer. <laughs> um, I actually just thought of another resource that I want to make sure I mention. Uh -huh. um, so I, I briefly mentioned Dr. Eric Gentry. If you're interested in him, 1000% recommend uh, G-E-N-T-R-Y. Um, he has a tool uh, or a, a video on YouTube called Tools for Hope mm. uh, done by his colleague, Jenny Brackman. It's about 40 minutes and she does a fantastic job of kind of condensing down his research hmm. and also goes into some really good coping skills like that body scan that we did. She has that in her video. So it's Tools for Hope um, done by Jenny Brackman. So I just wanted to Great. throw that out there because it occurred to me after I stopped talking about resources. Yeah. Readily yeah. available on YouTube. <laughs> Great. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you for... Um for taking the time to uh, have this discussion with me. It, it really is, uh, again, I said it before, it's really important to have these conversations about uh, mental health and anxiety, again, because of what we've all been experiencing uh, over the last few years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really important to, um, to know your body. And, and I love the, the body scan idea and uh, the five senses, that's a, a great thing. I've, I've heard that before. Uh, so that's a really, really great thing to kind of shake your, you know, shake your brain up a little bit to get out of yep. that, that thought pattern of uh, the anxiety exactly. and the anxious thoughts. Um, so yep. thank you so much, Natasha, for, uh, thank you. yeah, for being here today. I'm really uh, happy that, that we have connected and um, look forward to, um, you know, sharing this episode with everyone. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah. This concludes this episode of the Our View podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on all social media platforms at Our View for Life. That's O-U-R-V-I-E-W, the number four, L-I-F-E. If you have a topic or a person, or if you are a person who would like to be interviewed for an upcoming episode of the podcast, send us a DM on Instagram, send us a message on Facebook, or you can email me at ourviewforlife at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>